Testament and the New Testament, the people of God, cry out to God, take our hearts, work in our hearts, change us. And so we come to John chapter 17. If you're new to us, we've been studying through the 17th chapter of the Gospel of John, which is what we call the high priestly prayer of Jesus, that final great prayer that he prays. And today we come to verses 17 and 19 in particular, and then the next couple of weeks we'll really focus on verse 18, but verse 18, of course, is a part of the whole. And this is the place, it's as though Jesus has gained powerful momentum in this prayer, and he prays, reading in verse 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. So far the reading of God's word. Over the past several years, we as Americans have been reading especially of the marvelous and daring exploits of the Navy SEALs, of the Green Berets, of the Delta Force, all who are managed technically in the Pentagon by an organization called SOCOM. Have you ever heard of SOCOM? Does anybody know what SOCOM stands for? refers to the Special Operations Command. And wow, these people are remarkable, aren't they? The Navy SEALs and Green Berets receiving these nearly impossible assignments and pulling them off. What do they have in common? What they all have in common is that they are set apart from the rest, if we could say, of the from the average military Joe. And they are especially trained. They are tirelessly disciplined. They are well equipped with a clear and pointed sense of mission. And if we were to describe them in biblical terminology, we would say that the soldiers and sailors under SOCOM are set apart or sanctified for their particular mission. On the negative side, if you know these soldiers, you know that they work to extinguish laziness. They want to put off ignorance. They want to develop, uh, 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 they want to get rid of any negative traits, anything that would hamper the military operation. They want to put that off. And they are highly educated. They are carefully trained. They become intentional and passionate, and the success of their mission becomes their singular focus. Wow. They are essentially sanctified. Because the word sanctified, what does it mean? It means, technically, to be set apart for special service. And when you read the Old Testament Hebrew word kadosh and the New Testament Greek word hagios, you have 
this word technically translated as either sanctified or other times set apart, sometimes consecrated, and other times made holy. But it's all from either the Hebrew word kadosh or the Greek word hagios. And Jesus here in this prayer prays for his disciples. And he prays that we would be set apart as God's special ops team. The whole church segregated, called out of the rest of humanity for his glory. In Leviticus 20, 26, we read it this morning. God used the term of Israel, you shall be holy to me, kadosh to me, for I the Lord am holy and have separated you, there it is, I have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. And as you read through the Bible, you see that there's a negative side to this operation of sanctification and a positive side to it. If you're a student of the Bible, it becomes very clear as you read through it. What is this negative side? You are set apart from defilement, from sin and evil. Our, our souls, our characters, our habits are to be cleansed. You get a good scrubbing, cleansing from God. And we put to death the evil of our flesh, just like the Navy SEALs and the Green Berets put off ignorance and any character trait that hampers the success in their mission. But if all you think about when we Christians, you know, we, sometimes we talk about being holy and holier than others and all of that, and if we only look at it as the, you know, don't drink, don't smoke, don't chew, don't girl, go with girls who do, right? You know, if it's only that putting off of that negative stuff, you misunderstand holiness. Because holiness also means, being consecrated also means being set apart for positive purposes of God. And that's, again, what uh, the Green Beret and the Navy SEALs do, dedicated to their mission. And we are told by Jesus Christ we become God's special forces in the world, not to kill our enemies with weapons, but what? To win them with love and compassion and peace and grace and service and the tender care and the word of Jesus Christ. Now, in this first point, we see in verse 19 that Jesus first sanctifies himself you see that? And for their sake I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. And uh, Jesus first is sanctified, and he is sanctified in a way that we could never do, all right? Let's get this clear. Jesus is saying, I'm set up, setting myself apart for the holy purposes of God. But wait a minute, somebody asks. Wait, but... Did Jesus need to be cleansed from his sin? And we know better than that, don't we? Jesus was sinless. He didn't need to be cleansed from the inside out from his sin. He was sinless. But if you pay attention as you read through the Gospels, you find that Jesus Christ was tempted to sin all the time, wasn't he? And the devil did his best to do his worst. And all the forces of hell came against Jesus to tempt him. You know, have you ever been 
tempted to lie? Jesus was tempted to lie. Have you ever been tempted to lust? Jesus was tempted to lust. Have you ever been, ever been tempted to use harsh words to, to crush the soul of your kids or, or to, um, to blaspheme God? Jesus was tempted in every way as we are, the book of Hebrews says, yet without sin. Amazing. You know, temptation, I, I resist, I resist, I resist. Temptation gets worse and worse and worse, then I might give in. But Jesus never gives in. He is sanctified. He consecrates himself. So wonderful. But it's not just avoidance of the negative in Jesus Christ, is it? What have we been seeing week after week in our study of this great prayer? We see that Jesus himself is also, in the positive sense, consecrated uh, unto God because he has this special sense of his messianic destiny. And last week, what did we see? That the great mediatorial offices of the Old Testament, prophet, priest, and king, are fulfilled perfectly in Jesus Christ. Isn't that true? And even in this prayer, his prophetic work comes out where he says, um, I have given them your word, and they have believed it. He's the great prophet. And he, Jesus, is the great king, isn't he? What does the king do? The king guards his people. And Jesus says in this prayer, I have guarded them, and not one of them is lost. 100% success rate I have with my people. And he governs them. He sends them out. He glorifies them and shares his glory with them, he says in verse 24. All of these kingly duties fulfilled in Jesus Christ perfectly. Here, in verse 19, uh, Leon Morris says in his commentary that he believes that when Jesus speaks of being consecrated, here he is especially emphasizing his priestly calling, his priestly duty. And just as the prophet was anointed and set apart, and just as the king is anointed and set apart, so the priests of old, do you recall, had these ceremonies. Some of them seem strange to us. Remember Aaron? We are told when he was set apart, they were to take blood, and where were they to put it? You remember? On his big toe. <laughs> and then they make this special turban, you know, and it's got diadems in it, jewels in it, and they give him these golden sashes, and they anoint him and set him apart for his priestly work. And what is Aaron's priestly work? Aaron's priestly work is to offer sacrifices on behalf of the people and to pray for the people. And what did we learn last week? That Jesus, Jesus is of the higher order of the priesthood. He's of the order of Melchizedek, one who doesn't need to offer sins, sacrifices for his own sins. For Jesus Christ is the high priest of high priests, isn't he? He doesn't need to offer sins for him, uh, sacrifices for himself. He is sinless. He's got the clean hands. He has the pure heart. He's so wonderful. He's so pure. He's so perfect. And when he prays, direct access to the Father. And even now, Jesus is in the Holy of Holies, we are told in Hebrews 7.25. For he is able to save completely those who come to the Father through him because he ever lives to intercede for them 
And then it says, and I, I, I quote 25 all the time, but 26, listen to this. It says, such a high priest meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners. Does that sound like Jesus was sanctified perfectly, wasn't he? And why did he do it? Did you notice, did you notice what he s- says when he says, I do this for their sake, for your sake? He now tells us, I do all this for you. And I want to ask you, do you believe that today? Do you understand how personal his ministry to you is? Whether you're new to us or whether we've been friends for a decade, I want you to hear this today. You are on his heart. You are. He says, your name is written on my hands. No one can snatch you out of my Father's hands. I bet there are people here today, good, good Christians, and you say, you know, I believe Jesus is the great prophet of God, and he's the great high priest, and he's the great king. I believe that, but I'm not sure he really loves me. I'm not even sure anybody really loves me. And today, will you hear his voice? He says it clearly here. I did all this for you. Can you hear that? I was thinking about it this week as sort of the ultimate customer service. Have you ever been to a restaurant and the serving staff is so attentive? Right? You go, it's going to be an expensive meal. But boy, that waiter shows up and he knows what you need and he makes sure that your meal is delivered hot and, and just as it comes off the stove and, and he attends to you. You need bread, you've got bread. You need butter, soft butter, you've, you've got it. Your water glass is full. He's not, o- he's not overbearing, but he's right there. And if you need to make eye contact with him, he sees you. That's great. Makes for a good night. Have you ever been to a restaurant where the server is sitting at the bar, talking to his buddies, and he wouldn't look in your direction if a thunderbolt went off, right? You know, and your water glass is empty and your food arrives late and cold, and he's not there for you. But Jesus, he says, I do it for you, for you. You are my bride. You are my beloved, the other texts of scriptures tell us, he says of you. And he loves you so much. And Jesus isn't going to sell you out. He's not. Satan offered him all the kingdoms of the world, right? The skyline of Manhattan is yours, Jesus. With one quick genuflection, that's all it takes. It's yours. Jesus says, no. In John 6, 
after he multiplies the loaves and the fishes. Do you remember that? And, and they are so excited about him. It says they intended to make him king. Jesus, you can be king, our king. We want you to be our king. And he says, thanks, but no thanks. Why? Because I have a higher calling and a greater kingdom and a special people who I am not going to sell out. Do you believe this today? Just be grateful. I did it for your benefit. I did it for you. And that leads us into point number two. Because, he says, I sanctified myself. I did it so that they may be sanctified. And in verse 17, he does pray this, Father, sanctify my people. And um, listen, I think we all know, I hope you know, that our sanctification is different from his. He did what we could never do, right? He went to die the sacrificial atoning death. He not only was the priest who offered the sacrifice, he was the sacrifice. We can't do that. But the Bible says in Romans 12 that we offer ourselves as living sacrifices to God, and we then use our lives for his glory and for the good of people in this world, a life of holiness and service. Now, notice the first thing. This is humbling. Notice that he asks the Father to do it. He doesn't just turn to the disciples and wag his finger and says, okay now, get your act together and be holy. Why do you think he asks God the Father, or as he says at the beginning of the prayer, Holy Father, to sanctify us? Well, he does it because... We can't. Charles Spurgeon puts it like this. He says, The ultimate conquest of sin in us and making us like the Lord must be entirely the work of the Lord our God who makes all things new since we have no power to carry on so great a work in and of ourselves. What is he saying? He says, This is creation. Can you create? He says, This is resurrection. Can you raise the dead? And then Charles Spurgeon says, and I hope you're not offended. Spurgeon says, Our degenerate nature can rot and putrefy, but it can never return to purity or sweeten itself to perfection. This is of God and God alone. And what Spurgeon is saying, you know that meatball that's in the back of your refrigerator that's kind of ignored back there and by now is kind of green and fuzzy? That meatball is, is putrefying back there. Let me ask you, if you leave it there for another year, will it make itself sweet and tasty again? It will not. No, the framers of the shorter catechism, of that question we read, it says... Sanctification is a work of God's free grace. I love that. They got it right. God's doing it. God, you have to do it in me. You know, you and I, we're like two kids in a mud puddle who can't clean ourselves. We need someone from the outside to hose us down, don't we? That's what we need. So Jesus prays, Father, sanctify them. I don't know. I'm, I, I wonder have you ever said in an honest prayer to God when you were brought face to face with your sin, oh, God, I can't do it. 
My sin is on me like my skin. I've said that. But you know, Jesus has asked the Father then to deal with you, and he will do it. In fact, in Philippians 1.6, it says, He who began a good work in you will complete it in the day of Christ Jesus. Don't despair. Don't despair. You're in his hand. He is at work in you. Now come, be alert, be aware, be awake. He's come to do this work of God's free grace. Listen, you know, I love the organization Alcoholics Anonymous. Yeah, I know, they don't have everything right, but they have this right. Their first principle, they have absolutely right. You can't fix yourself. And until you admit that you can't fix yourself, all your boasting, all your good intentions, all your New Year's resolution, until you get to the place where you know you need the Lord God and the founders of Alcoholics Anonymous understood that it was the Christian God that they were referring to. You can't. You need the Lord. Now, what happens is that he does it in two ways. And now we're talking, please, work hard with me. You've got to do this hard work here. He does it the, instrumentally in two ways. First, he sanctifies you through his blood. And there's a wonderful verse in Hebrews 13.12. And I, I didn't get it in your bulletin, but Hebrews 13.12, it says... So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his blood. Could it be any clearer? He did that, and what we call that definitive sanctification. It's a wonderful term. That when Christ died on the cross, his people were definitively or positionally or ultimately sanctified and set apart because the blood of Christ has cleansed them from all unrighteousness. That's what the blood of Christ does for you and for me. Isn't that wonderful? So the instrument that God uses is his blood, and it creates, again, what we call definitive sanctification. You know, we sing songs that sometimes say, I am sanctified. Well, we're not boasting, and we're certainly not saying that we have become perfect in this life, but we are saying, and you need to believe, that because the blood of Christ was shed for you, you are sanctified set apart. You're a member of under SOCOM, okay? You're a part of God's Navy SEALs. You're a part of his Green Beret. You are. Jesus set you apart. But then, there's what we call, very important term, progressive sanctification through the course of our life. And that, my friends, happens, Jesus tells us in this prayer, sanctify them, how? In the truth. Your word is truth. And what's he talking about there? The Bible. The Bible. The word of God. And I wonder, I wonder, do you know that even though you take vacations in the summer, you should not take a vacation from the Bible? Have you taken a vacation from the Bible? <laughs> King David, he says in Psalm 119, your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Right? Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The Apostle Paul, he writes to the New Testament church and he says in Colossians 3.16, 
let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Are, are you on vacation from the word of Christ? Jesus, he turns to Peter and the disciples. He says, the words I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. Oh, friends, we need the word of God. The word of God and the blood of Christ is what God uses to sanctify us. You've got to be, let's put it, let's it's straight out in the Bible. Your wife needs to be in the Bible. Your husband needs to be in the Bible. Your children need to learn the Bible. Your parents need to learn the Bible. Your pastor needs to learn the Bible, don't we? And friends, let me just tell you, we take that seriously here at the North Shore Community Church. That's why we have Sunday school. Come to Sunday school. Here it is, served up to you. It's why we have home fellowship groups, life on life discussion and application of the Bible to our lives. That's why families have family devotions and family altars to talk about the Bible. That's why I send out a daily email, soap. We call them soaps, just the Bible to people. We need his word. And then we come to the climax of the application of this prayer to our lives. And we ask the question, how does this progressive sanctification come about? How does God make me holy? And to do this, yes, my friends, I'm going to do this to you again. We need to learn three words. Three words, they are big words. You see them in your sermon outline. They are important words. And it's not because I like to show off with big words. It's because every Christian needs to understand this operation that God is doing in their life. And here are the three words. Regeneration, mortification, and vivification. And these are the things that the Bible describes as happening to you if you are a Christian. Regeneration, what is that? That is when God breathes new life into you and you are born again. I guarantee you, if you hang around this church long enough, somebody will ask you outside the church, one of your co-workers or colleagues or schoolmates, they will say, hmm, are you one of those born-again Christians? And when they ask you that, what will you say? What you'll say is, well, I am a Christian, and according to Jesus, that's the only kind of Christian. Jesus said, you must be born again. And when Paul is writing to Pastor Titus, and he's describing what God does in her, our lives, Titus 3, verse 5, he says, he saved us, not because of the work done by us in righteousness, right? But because of his own mercy, by the washing, and here's the word, by the washing of regeneration, the Greek word means again birthed, palingenesis, again birthed. Every Christian, of course I'm, I'm born again. What other kind of Christian is there? And just, just like a baby didn't decide to be born, you know, it's a work of God. The Spirit blows where it will, but God quickens and awakens you and there's new life inside of you. You know, one guy said, he said, I, I don't know exactly when it happened, but I know I crossed the state line <laughs> sometime. 
And then there's this, progre- this progress in your life, and I want to unpack it. These two words, I love them both. There's mortification and vivification. I even like what they sound like because they sound like what they mean. Mortification, what's that? Well, mort refers to what in Latin? Death. And, and, and my friend Jack Miller used to say all the time, you know there's a death side to Christianity? Have you experienced it? Jesus said you have to die to yourself. You know, you have to put aside your way in order to embrace God's way. You have to die to yourself. And then when you see your sin, Paul tells us in Colossians 3 verse 5, you have to put to death whatever is of that fleshly nature. And this is your active part. This is your active part where you're strangling, you're getting rid of that which is evil in your flesh. And some of you saw the movie Fireproof. We showed that movie. And don't you love the scene where Kirk Cameron plays the guy who's trapped in internet pornography, you know, and he knows that it's hurting his marriage and it's defiling his soul. <laughs> what does he do in the movie, do you remember? After he's, he, he is, he's so convicted of it that he rips the computer out of the wall and he throws it out onto the driveway and he takes a baseball bat and he starts slamming away at the computer with the baseball bat, right? <laughs> his neighbor's looking at him. I love that scene. But it's not easy to put something to death. When I was 11 years old, we had a farm north of Pittsburgh. And I remember one day, as I was walking into the kitchen, I noticed that this snake was slithering and slithered in the back door, slithering across the floor. And my first impulse was, this is great, because my sister's in the next room twin sister Susan, and she could shriek like nobody could shriek. I was ready for this. But then I thought, you know, that's probably not the best thing to do, to just let this thing go. And my dad always kept an axe by the back door. I run over and I grab the axe and I step on the tail of the snake and I decide I'm going to chop his head off and put him to death. But you know, that axe was blunt. It really was. It wasn't sharpened. So I raise the axe, and boom, I lower it. And all it does is thud, bounce off the snake. And then again, but I, I wouldn't stop. And I just had to go wham, 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 until finally the snake was dead. My friends, Paul says you have to put sin to death. And that's what it's like. Are you a gossip? Don't you love to gossip? If you do, you know how hard it is to put that off. Do you fudge the truth in order to just make yourself look a little better? And it's in you. It's on you like your skin. It's like that snake with a dull axe. It's hard to put that to death. Do you struggle with lust, the sin of the flesh? You know, and what you have to do is do what Kirk Cameron did, what I tried to do as a goofy 11-year-old boy. You have to go wham, wham, wham. And here's how that operation of mortification occurs. John Calvin tells us in his discussion of mortification. And he says that, um, that we see our sin and we are appalled by it. The Word of God comes, it convicts us, and in the light of God's holiness, we suddenly say, this isn't good. This is really bad. 
and I've got to deal with it. And you have a sense that divine judgment will fall upon sin, and that God is offended by my character. And I say, and you say, I want to change. And then comes that third word, vivification. And that English word, it's a great English word. What does it sound like? It sounds like the word revive or vivacious. Do you know someone you would describe as vivacious? What does that mean? Full of life. And you, you, my friend, you are to be vivacious. That is, full of the life of Christ. The, what Charles Spurgeon, he puts it like this. The, the streams of living water are flowing through you. A well of water, Spurgeon, let me read the quote. The life which God has put within us is made to be a well of water springing up to everlasting life. The water of life, which Jesus Christ declared, remember at the priest, he said, whoever believes in me from his inmost being shall flow. What a promise. What shall flow? What shall flow? Rivers of living water. Vivification. New life. The best biblical picture of this I know, it comes from Jeremiah 17. And Jeremiah says, some of us are like a shrub bush, right, in the desert. Jeremiah 17, 5 and 6. Cursed is the man who trusts in man, who makes his flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. That's a cursed man. He is like a shrub in an uninhabited salt land. Why? For he has forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living water. Okay? We don't want to be that man. Do you want to be that man? The fountain of living water? Forsaken? No. You want to be, like he says in the next verse, but blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water and sends its roots out by a stream. And even when the heat comes, he will bear fruit, even when there's heat. Oh, my friends, if you're not a Christian, if you're not a Christian, it is because you have not yet realized, have not yet come to confess, have not yet come to know that the blood of Christ sanctifies you. And today is the day that you're being told this. And this may be a day that God actually uses his word to regenerate you. It happens in this church. It happens. People are regenerated under just the hearing of the word of God. And I would pray that would happen today to someone or to many people here. That would be great. Where you say, yes, yes, now I know, now I believe. If you are a Christian, it is a humbling thing. It is a humbling thing to confess your sin. But it's a good thing to do. To invite him to do this work. To cleanse you from the inside out. At the roots, right? He's like a tree whose roots are planted. The roots of your heart. Where are the roots of your heart today? Would you say, I want these roots planted in Jesus Christ by streams of living water, vivifying me, making me alive, reviving my soul. Is that what you want? I know that's what you want. So let's bow our heads now and, and join together in prayer.
and say, Lord Jesus, we thank you for this prayer, that you would sanctify us in your truth. Your word is truth. Thank you for the Bible. We want to learn it, Lord, because it points us to you. We thank you for the cross, because there, there, we are assured you did it for us and you are for us. Thank you, O Lord. Show your mercy to us. Set us apart to be a part of that Navy SEAL unit, that Green Beret unit, the Delta Force of SOCOM. Lord, we want to be your people on your mission, giving glory to you. Clean us up, we pray, and we know that you will. In Jesus' name, amen.